in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. If you are on my email list, you got a little sneak peek at our episode this week talking about joy versus summits. So we are home for a week in between phase two and phase three of our gap year, and last Wednesday was a big and yet very ordinary day for us. I woke up in my own bed at home after traveling continuously for four months. It was also the one-year birthday of my book, Beyond Normal, a field guide to embrace adventure, explore the wilderness, and design an extraordinary life, and I also celebrated crossing the milestone of 100,000 downloads on the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. And it got me thinking, is this success? According to the Oxford Dictionary, success is defined as an accomplishment of an aim or a purpose. And I've mentioned before that I'm a recovering achiever that was driven by success. And I also noticed that there's a point in life when it felt like success indicators weren't driven by an internal desire to accomplish or attain that status but rather a mirror of others' expectations of me. Let me take you back a few years ago when the concept of a family gap year was merely a spark of an idea. I'm not going to go through all the mechanics of how we got here, but I do want to give you some of the foundational practices that we used and share a tool with you. I think there comes a turning point when you realize that success indicators may not lead to the pursuit of a fulfilling life. And it takes a little while. You know, I think age, experience, life experiences, so to speak, can help you to this discovery point. But it was around the same time that we started exploring the concept of a family gap year. And so I want to talk a little bit through that idea of what is a summit versus success, because I think they're a little bit different, or what is joy versus success. So I like to define summit experiences by they're characterized by moments of awe. They aren't necessarily things you can plan for, but yet at the same time, they offer some profound fulfillment. They go beyond conventional goals and success. They are experiences that encompass emotional and physiological effects, leaving this lasting impact of well-being. They are also meaningful milestones on our own personal journey. So they help us expand beyond our comfort zone. We gain confidence and you develop like a deep sense of pride, like you're so proud of that accomplishment because you put in the hard work. These aren't things that maybe, you know, the way they look different, I think, is they're not necessarily externally recognizable. Like you wouldn't know by looking at me that I've run seven marathons. I don't even know that that's a milestone anymore for me because it's it's beyond what I, yes, I've done it. I'm proud of it. And that period of my life is over, and I don't know that I aspire to go back to it. But you wouldn't know that by looking at me, right? There's not, it's not a title that's out on my LinkedIn profile or a book I've written or anything like that. You know, you wouldn't know that about me. 
But at the same time, these summit experiences are really transformative. They they leave like little marks in your personal journey. So it's a little different because it takes a significant amount of work. You know, you have to work on yourself in order to have a milestone. You know, things, if you think about it, like training for a marathon. Okay, funny story. I have run a marathon without training. I don't recommend it. I was also, you know, years into running, so I was in really good shape. But at the same time, still don't recommend it. You don't go into a marathon thinking you're going to win. That's never the intention. At least it was never my intention. I don't even know that I went into, especially my first marathon, with the idea that I was going to get a certain time. My goal for the first time was to finish. When you're starting a new adventure, the goal is sometimes, or the intention behind it, isn't to be the best. It's not to have success out of the box. It's just not realistic. So we have to go through this journey, and along the way, there's these little mini summits that get you like a notch up, right? So you, it's like you're going up a pyramid, and you kind of get to the next level, and you can look back and say like, oh, this is a little mini milestone. And I think that transformative power stems from the ongoing perseverance to keep going beyond that point. At any point, you can turn around and say, I'm done with this. It's not going to necessarily change my identity if I stop, but each summit becomes then a catalyst. Do I want to go further? Do I want to keep developing? Do I have this desire to explore the next step? And I think that's different from success and what we have been often told as smart goals. You know, a summit is more of a feeling and how do you measure that and be aware of your feeling versus a goal if you use the smart framework something specific measurable achievable relevant and timely like you know when you hit your goal goals are usually driven i think by external desires and measurable outcomes whereas a summit experience emerges from a place of intrinsic motivation they're deeply personal you may not even seek external recognition or validation So I want to go back to this idea of, do you need both? Is it good to have one versus the other? How much success is good? How much is bad? And I think that's all dependent on our our personality, our temperament, the family regroup. There's a lot of things I think that inform that. And yet at the same time, neither is good nor bad, right? This isn't a, it's not an either or you want summits or success indicators. I think it's a healthy mix of both and both have a place. I just don't know that we know as much or we aren't conditioned or trained to look for summit experiences as much as we are looking for success indicators, at least early on. So perhaps, you know, if I, if we dig into the success metrics, I call them like the making it metrics. <laughs> I kind of laugh. I remember when I had my executive role, I had gotten moved into this really fancy office with windows in the executive wing. And I remember thinking, you know that song, Hey, Look, Mama Made It. I like took a selfie and was like, is this making it? Is this what making it was meant to be? Because I don't even like this office. Like, yeah, it's huge, but it's awkward. And I'm not really a type of person that wants a big office. In fact, I would much rather go to a coffee shop and meet people like I didn't necessarily want people to come to my office because I didn't want them to judge me based on my yeah. Anyway, so there's these kind of like making it metrics. Your office might be one of them at work, right? Can people tell that you have more power or your title is better than based on the external things that they can see? But perhaps intertwined with that, with the making it metrics is the projection of someone else's expectations. 
So I heard a story recently of a family who was on day three of their full-time RV life, and their mindset was like, now everything is going to be better. We've made it. We're here. We're starting. And I think that's the status sign, right? That's an external thing. Like, this is going to be the visual of, yes, we made it. But did we? Because there's a lot of work that goes into that. There's a lot of lifestyle things that are happening. And some people can do all those things at once. But does that mean you're making it? And at the same time, you know, when we went on our family gap year, does it mean I'm not making it if I go back to work? I actually have the intention of going back to work. This is just meant to be a break for us. And I can talk more about that in upcoming episodes. So I think success indicators are often marked with some type of recognition, something other people can see. There was a recent conversation in social media, and I just like bring these things up in real life because I don't think we always notice these things or we don't see how they've embedded into our lives. And being home, I think I'm hyper aware of all these things that I was away from for so long. And I can see how quickly we are adapting. Even in one week, we're like, oh my gosh, we're like getting sucked back in. So for example, I was watching social media, which I haven't been on social media a ton while we've been gone. And I noticed, you know, it's end of year, it's it's recognition season, it's graduation, it's all the awards, banquets, it's all these things. And I think the empathy from when I was a teacher has really informed how I parent. So you know, I've questioned over the years, like, is, is perfect attendance really a goal we're still working on and why? Or is the things we wear at graduation an indicator of how hard we've worked to get here? Do we do all the things like National Honor Society and get good grades to participate or participate in sports so that we can wear something at graduation that shows that we're better than, that we're different, that we made it, that we had some type of external visual thing to show how good we are. Is that why we do it? Or is that why we're working towards these things? I'm not saying it to devalue anyone's accomplishments. But I think as a parent, I have become much more selective about what I'm willing to spend my time and energy advocating for. So I've noticed, like, is it important for me to advocate that my kid gets the award? No, it's not. Not for me. And it's not that I don't think my child isn't worthy of an award. I just don't think that's what I want to teach them. I'd rather teach my kids to do things because they truly want to do them and not just for the trophy. I have a hunch it might even be better for their long-term well-being. Perhaps the number of trophies, medals, and certificates I've thrown out over the years might be an indicator that those things didn't matter to me but it was what the status quo was. And a way we can start to do that is focus on internal drivers versus external drivers. So long-term impact, when you start to look at the sustainability of achievements, you know, think about when you go to buy something. You feel good, right? You're like, buy a new outfit or you buy something, maybe even that you didn't expect, and there's this dopamine spike. There's an immediate release of dopamine, which is like the feel-good hormone. We feel excited. We feel good. We're you know excited to put that on. But then six months later, do we even remember we bought it? Or on the flip side, have you ever had buyer's remorse? So I like to use this example to explain the difference between joy and happiness, I like to think of happiness as the short-term spike triggered by an external effect, whereas joy 
is the feel-good sensation responsible for longer-term well-being? Which is why we created the Joy Audit. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Because I wanted a way to say, like, what are the things that have lasting impact? What are the things that my kids talk about long after the events have happened? Or long after the experiences? Or long after we bought something? Or long after, you know, whatever that may be. I wanted to start having better awareness and tracking over what those trends were. We aren't designed to have prolonged dopamine releases. We just literally physiologically can't have that. So naturally, we need to come down. But the interesting thing is there's been scientific studies that have shown that the more you increase the floor, so after the dopamine spikes, it goes crashing down, kind of like a sugar crash. Dopamine crashes as well. And when you have more frequent, uncomfortable, you might want to call them risky adventures, things of that nature that get you out of your comfort zone, you actually raise the floor over time. So the amount of space between the spike and the crash decreases over time. So we can practice getting uncomfortable on these summit experience journeys, you know, these little steps. And at the same time, we are physiologically changing our overall well-being for the long term. But it's not like you can have one or the other. I think we still need both. So there's a balance of how many summit experiences versus success milestones do you need in life? I remember being, I think I turned like 25 or something. Maybe I was 30. I don't even remember. You know, there comes a point when it's like, okay, I got my first job. I got married. I had kids. Like there comes this like next 20 years of the what? what's next, right? What am I looking forward to now? I think I just have to like push forward for 30 years and then retire. You know, I don't know that there's there's this big window, so to speak, when you're trying to figure out like, what does success look like now? What does joy look like now? And a lot of that, I think, as parents, we start to see those things through our children, which can be good and bad, right? We get excited for the milestones that our kids have, again, in moderation. I think you also need to have those experiences for yourself. So the more we can intrinsically have joy summit experiences that are, you know, where we are simply awestruck by the moment, the longer term health and well-being we will have. And part of that is just, are we willing to step outside our comfort zone and overcome obstacles? Can we maintain the motivation to keep going when things get hard? Whereas a success metric I kind of indicated is an external thing, I think summit experiences are things we've been working towards that most people don't see the training behind the scenes. You know, you might see a creator or someone make it. Again, I like the quote, make it. And they're doing something big and bold. And we only see that, right? We see it often in social media. All of a sudden, you just see me traveling. Well, I didn't just quit my job and start traveling, right? This has been an intention of years of work to really understand how is our family going to thrive in these mini summit experiences. So I mentioned before, part of the way we defined and recognized summit experiences was developed after we did a family joy audit. And a family joy audit for us was an easy way to keep track of everyone in the family because everyone's different, right? It's not like my joy is going to emulate my child's joy. Gosh, if it were that easy, I would just push that button every day. So I needed a way to track, you know, what does joy look like and for whom? What does it take for them to have a joyful experience? Things like how much time, how much 
energy, how many resources are needed for them to experience joy. And then also, you know, if you think of like a in business, we use like a net promoter score. So and I talk all about this in my book, by the way. So if you want to like really geek out, you can. But I just want to mention like how it was formulated was through this concept of if you love something, you're willing to share it. Word of mouth is always the biggest indicator. So I started tracking, you know, what were the things they were still talking about? And it was sometimes a casual, like I would note a couple weeks later if they were still talking about something or if they shared it with something else, I was trying to be cognizant of that. And the Joy Audit tracking form, actually, which is available now for digital download, was one of those tools that I created to say, like, how could this work? And and then we started tracking. It gave us a visual representation of trends and insights that maybe I would have been blind to or not aware of or not thinking about. So, you know, for example, it was through the joy audit that I started to realize that these simple adventures were the things that mattered for our family. Yes, they love the big and the bold. But six months later, they weren't really talking about them. It was silly things like where we went for ice cream or that one playground that we played at or that one waterfall that we saw that we got to walk in, you know, it was these very simple things that they were talking about. So that really helped us understand that the joy audit became the way for us to honor spontaneous, sometimes even unplanned ways to recognize accomplishments, feelings of contentment and joy versus the things that we think we're always striving for and can really lead to unhealthy outcomes. I don't know if without doing the joy audit, I would be here. I think it was a really helpful tool in building awareness and being intentional because I don't know that I would have noticed or appreciated sitting in the recliner with a cup of coffee and enjoying the sunrise this week, or the sensory experience of taking our warm, fresh bedding out of the dryer after returning home of four months of continuous travel where laundry was done in laundromats. Yes, that is a pain point. But that like fresh smell of bedding was really a moment I noticed. I don't know that I would have enjoyed recording and publishing a podcast for two years if I was chasing 100,000 downloads. It kind of just happened. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm almost to 100,000. That's cool. But looking back, I noticed it's because I was curious enough to keep having conversations with people, to keep sharing, or people would ask questions. And it was that that kept me saying, you know, I think I want to keep going. Looking back at my first book, I think it's knowing that I can write a book. And now I know the rules or how I could do that again. So it's getting me even more excited to write a second book. It was really the simplicity of this joy audit tracking form that helped us design our family gap year. So it is now available. And I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to purchase the, the digital download, the tracking form. It really helped us gain a deeper understanding of what truly brings joy and fulfillment to our life. And it helped identify activities, experiences, moments that light us up from within. It's revealed patterns and trends that have impacted our happiness and have prolonged joy over a long period of time. It helped our family identify interest areas of life that needed more attention and also highlight what was already bringing us immense joy. So I, again, I have this all in the show notes. So So I'll put the link in the show notes if you're interested or if you want that framework, because it is really cool. But at the end of the day, I think the key takeaway is in order to get here, 
to get more summit experiences, to have a better balance between success and summit experiences, is to think less about the achiever, the external metrics, those making it metrics, and shift to more of a joy-driven mindset. It's been a really helpful framework for us to determine when we say yes, when do we slow down, how do we make these intentional changes, and embrace adventures both big and small to notice the everyday moments that often get overshadowed with tasks. Big adventures are built on the backs of small wins. My book was written in a thousand words a day. A hundred thousand downloads of the podcast was accomplished by publishing new content each week. Our family gap year was built on a series of simple adventures in our own backyard and beyond. And the joy audit tool was really helpful in building awareness but also helping us make decisions and taking action towards our next bold adventure. In pursuit of a fulfilling life, redefining success becomes paramount. Embracing summit experiences, those transformational moments of joy and accomplishment, allow individuals to align their aspirations with their internal desires. By recognizing and celebrating these milestones, we can create a life rich in meeting and contentment. So let's embark on an individual journey. Let's chase summit experiences that lead to a life of well-being. I can't wait to hear all about your summits. Until next week, keep on adventuring, be brave, and keep going. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.